I've got a lot to say here, so what we want to do is get right into it um, on the Sermon of, uh, on the Mount and pick back up in Matthew chapter 5. You know, Jesus said this, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so right here we see the heart of the law being instituted into the new covenant terminology that Jesus was using. And he was trying to get the heart of the kingdom across. And if you go back and listen to the first couple of weeks, you'll realize there was a myriad of people in the crowd when he was speaking, just like there is today, and uh, from all different types of backgrounds. And uh, the Pharisees were one of those people, and obviously they took the law of God, the Pentateuch uh, in the Old Testament, and they began to muddy it, and they begin to add to it, and they begin to contort it, and use it for their advantage. And uh, they were always trying to trick Jesus, by the way, and set him up so that they could actually carry on in their power and what they wanted to do. And I think we're like that sometimes, right? Trying to dodge what God's wanting to do in our life. But God, but God came on the scene in the form of Jesus, and he said, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about the heart of faithfulness right here. And this is where we're going to pick back up on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and verse 27. It says, you have heard that it was said. Now, he's probably leaning over towards the Pharisees because he's referring back to the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. And he said, you've heard it was said. They've been taught in their ways. You shall not commit adultery. The Ten Commandments, right? Verse 28, but I say to you, you know, when Jesus says that, I think it's a good time to lean forward, you know. <laughs> he said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery or sexual immorality with her in his heart. It's amazing what Jesus does in the heart of a man. You know, he, he's talking about the heart, and the heart's the center of a person's identity, right? The heart is the, the seedbed of the intention of thought. The, the heart, it's out of the heart you live your life. It's out of the heart or the overflow of your uh, heart so that your life goes. And, 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 and he's saying, you're, you're looking at these traditions and you've muddied them up, but there's something greater going on. You've lost the original intent of the law of God. Matter of fact, if you go back and study in this term that we're going to get into, which is a very touchy topic, which is adultery and uh, divorce, you, you know, if you go back and look at it, God was like, I didn't even want to institute some of these things, but you were stiff-necked people. And, and, and so Jesus is, 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 here he is in front of the Pharisees pointing back to the law that they had begun to muddy, and they were stiff-necked people. And he said, there's, so, there's a greater intention here of what God's trying to accomplish, which is purity, which is power. And, all, and we've been saying this for quite some time, that, that, that when we're doing things for God, it's for his glory, not ours, right? So it's going to look a little bit different. But when we do things for his glory, it, ha, it, ha, it does have a healthy return, if you would, in our life, because it does good for us as well. And God was always trying to teach his people how to live and show, him their, show, show, show his people his ways. And he's like, guys, you've missed everything here. Let me go right down to the heart of the matter. Verse 28, I'm going to read it again. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, you can put a man in there, 
with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we know lust, if you, if you look up that word lust right there in the New, New Testament, it, it's an extreme desire, a craving, a longing for. And, and, I, and I think what Jesus does a whole lot of times through the power of his word, through the power of his spirit, we see him in the New Testament in the flesh form, is, is he cuts right down to the intentions of the heart, which basically says we're all, look, the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Bible says it penetrates the heart and uncovers, a, and we're, we're left before God. And, and Jesus is the word, and so when he was speaking the word, I believe on the inside of those people, what wasn't being said, they were cut in two and they realized they were before a holy God and that they were unholy. Let me say this about conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit as we begin to, again, break down these, these verses the best way we know how, is that conviction brings life, not death. And so, and so when you're left before God and you realize you're unholy and he's holy, that, my friend, is actually a very pivotal place to be, number one, but it's also a very powerful place to be, number two, because God's speaking to you. That's why you see in the Old Testament a lot of times when God speaks, people fell to their knees. Imagine when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you fall to your knees and say, my God is speaking to me. This is, first of all, it's incredible. Think about it. First of all, that he cares enough for me that he's going to speak to me and uncover something and show that I don't measure up, which, by the way, is sin, not measuring up with God. And we all miss the mark. And that's where we can fall at the feet of Jesus right there and say, thank God you're showing me your word. You're showing me my life so I can align myself with, it, with you and love you and then keep moving forward. That's what it's about, everybody. Okay, you get me. Get down to the heart of the matter. You know, First John says that lust isn't from God, but of the world. And God always says abstain from lust because it has a ramification against your own life. It's almost like you're sinning against yourself, by the way. And, and, and he always says abstain. And you'd be amazed. There's, by the way, there's, a, there, there's, there's, there's false religions out there that says actually indulge in all your lust. Total, total opposite. Isn't that amazing? You know what God always intended for good, the enemy perverts for evil. And we, we see this rampant everywhere. You know, when you think about adultery and you think about lust, you realize reading it in this order that lust was the beginning. It was the thought. Right? Isn't that how all things start right there in the mind? The thought in, inside of the heart of a person. Matter of fact, James says that each one is drawn away and enticed by the evil desires that are lurking within them. That's why we need to fall before Jesus and say, Lord, change me, Lord, help me. But it's progressive and sin's progressive, and that's what he's saying. Lust is progressive. Not only was he saying that, but he was also saying you guys are self-justifying yourself in your laws and the things that you put together for adultery, thinking you're justified by that. But I say to you, come on, and this is what God does. Now, let me say this. As we, as we, this again, and I'm a, it's a touchy subject when we get into adultery. And I might ought to say that when we're talking about le le adultery and when we're talking about 
uh, things that happen in the context of marriage and, and divorce. I know that everyone in here and everyone watching online is probably affected in some way, shape, or form by either somebody in your family already, you yourself, or somebody you know. Can, can we agree with that? You know what I mean? And so, so but we, we, we're, we're breaking down the Sermon on the Mount, and we're trying to hear what God is trying to say. And we know he's saying, get away from lust because it dishonors you and it dishonors God. And lust is a matter of the heart. He went right down to the heart. And then he's going to continue on. And Jesus a lot of times talks in hyperboles. You know that. He's he's talking and he's over-exaggerating. And sometimes it's not a literal thing he's telling you to do. And we'll see that in Matthew chapter 29. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body being thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. It's a pretty stout teaching right there. And it doesn't, self-mutilation is unbiblical, by the way. I have asked people, ask me as a pastor multiple times if they should actually gouge out their eyeball. You know what I mean? And when you hear that as a pastor, you chuckle for a moment, but then you say, oh, my. (laughs) And then not only that, there's people who self-mutilate still and call it self-crucifixion and associate it with Christianity. That's not biblical, by the way, so if you're considering that, don't consider anymore. I did want to say that. But, you know, some people say, you know, the eye is the gate to the heart, and he talks about the eye, and he talks about the hand, which is the fulfillment of that action, right? And, he, and he, what, he's saying, what, what he's saying is lust is going to lead to spiritual death. He, it's almost, it's a warning. You know, Jesus gives warnings. It's a prophetic warning for the progression of sin. The Bible says sin full grown gives birth to death. And he's like, that way is death, everybody. You know what I mean? Don't go, don't go that way. We see right here in Romans to back that up, chapter 8, verse 13, it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, spiritual death. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's the mortification of the fleshly desires, which, by the way, takes some work on your part. Magic doesn't happen in the prayer lines. I'm telling you. And, and, and you know, we co-labor with God, and we believe, our theology believes that the Word empowers us to resist The Bible says that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. The the Bible says that we have the power to put away from us evil desires. I have to remind you of that. You have the power in Christ to put those things away. His grace not only is sufficient for us in salvation, his grace uh, uh, empowers us for Christian living, which is a life of power. Did you know when you're not living in a life of lust and you're living in the life of power, you're actually powerful. Spiritual, like you're spiritually powerful. The world's opposite. You know, the, the desires of the lust and how the greed and, and, and the sexual immorality and all those things seem to gratify the appetite of human to where they boast in themselves, but they're, they're, there's a spiritual death. 
And I think, I think that's what Jesus was saying. Some of you are boasting in actually what you're doing. You're, 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 you're powerless, basically. You know, lust leads us to believe we will find satisfaction in something other than Christ and his righteous way of living. You ever fall in that trap before? Don't raise your hand because I'm sure you have. You know, I like to look at lust as an enemy to my soul. Yeah? Literally. It, it, it's there to destroy me. It's not, it's not my friend. Lust is not my friend. Lust is not your friend. It hates you and it wants to destroy you. Right? It's really a form of unbelief. It's saying, I'm, I'm, putting, <clears throat> I'm putting some sort of belief that this lust is going to give me some gratification. <clears throat> how many of you know how horrible the gratification is when you fulfill lust because it's instant condemnation afterwards? It's a perpetual cycle of death. I hate it. You know what I mean? I, th- I, think, I think that you should hate it as well. You know, the psalmist said this. He said, he said I, won't, I, won't, I won't put filth in my presence. Not how people. He, he, it's like, man, I'm going to leave. You're talking about come alive in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Lay that filth right there at the cross where his blood covers it, and I'm coming alive in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm coming out of that. Deception. Lust is laced with deception, folks. Promises you everything leads to destruction. And it impacts our life. And in context, he's getting right into what? Marriages, because these guys were doing things with divorce that were unjustifiable and, again, making things work for him and doing all kinds of things. And he said, look, the, 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 the lust begins to infect and affect marriages that then lead to divorce. You guys ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. He said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And these guys and gals, they were mainly the men because they had the power of the women to file for divorce as a woman at that time was very, 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 very difficult and hardly unknown. And um, also in context with a woman didn't have a husband at that particular time, it was real bad off for her. You know, we saw Dan kind of talking about that in the culture over there a little bit, how it goes to the firstborn or whatever that way. But it was bad. You guys study history. Pretty common, right? Some of them are left destitute because they didn't have a husband anymore. And so being cast out as destitute is like you got to have a certificate to remarry or you're going to have nothing as a woman. And so the certificate of divorce allowed allowed a a wife to marry. The problem was there was a couple schools of thought, just like there are today, by the way. Nothing's new under the sun, right? There's there's your conservative school of thought talking about theology. You know what I mean? There's your progressive school of thought talking about theology. And then you find people who, you know, pull the tension into and and, and try to find balance. And and we've been seeing this for many, many years. And there's thousands of, of hours of debate under Christian Dome. And just like that, then it is now. And, 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 and so, you know, some of these guys who were flippant in their theology was like, man, she can't cook good certificate of divorce. <laughs> Think I'm here. Some of you are like, dog, I got to get home and get work on that jambalaya. 
I'm getting hungry now. But uh, <laughs> no, seriously, let's get back down to it. Yeah, we can laugh a little bit while we're getting punched. <laughs> I'm getting punched too. The word, some, I say punch, that's probably a bad illustration. Actually, the word's life and it breathes life. However, we got we to gotta brace it. But it was, man. They were putting the woman in a bad spot regard to their future. They were, they were, they, it was unjustifiable divorce that was going on, and they were justifying themselves. And, and again, going back, Jesus said, I say to you, if you even look at a woman, you know what I mean? But you're even just writing certificates about that. And he's correcting that Jewish cultural mindset about divorce, but also God's heart in divorce. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to reiterate, there's a lot of controversy in the scriptures I'm about to read. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of school of thought in the, un, under the umbrella of Christodom when it comes to denominations, mainstream theologians. They've been wrestling with this portion of scripture for many, many years. I wanted to preface that before I read it, but we're going to read it and we're going to commentate some. Jesus keeps on with his message. But I say to you, verse 32, that everyone who divorces his wife, now again, he's kind of speaking to the man there, again, in context, because men were the ones who were able, basically, to start this process. Are you with me? So, but in today's context, it's man or woman. So everyone who divorces his wife or husband, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. The NIV version says makes him or her the victim of adultery instead of commit the victim of adultery, which isn't that what sin does anyway to everyone who's involved? Yeah, it does. Wreaks havoc in our life, in our family, in our, in our marriage. And he says, and whoever marries... A divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I would imagine it was as quiet as it is in here or there, you know what I mean? It's pen drop. And that's a hard thing. And what, what, he was, what he was doing is going back to the standard of God, which is purity and perfection and holiness, right? And the gospel and God's original intent, but we know sin comes in and wreaks havoc in our lives, and we're victims and perpetrators of that. As people, we're broken, right? And so he's dealing with the problem of these unjustified divorces with these justified men and women, and he goes right down to the heart, and he's saying divorce is being taken way too lightly. I could think that I would imagine that's what Jesus would be saying right now to everybody. Divorce is taken too lightly. And he's saying, my standards, you guys think you have standards. He said, my standards are higher than your standards. But by the way, he was speaking to a cultural situation in context as well. So he's given his manifesto, he's given, he's unrolling the scroll, if you would, for Christian living. I'm no longer going to write my commandments on, heart, on tablets of stone, but I'm going to inscribe them on your heart. 
by the power of my spirit, and I'm going to dwell within you, and you're going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be set aside, and you're going to bring offerings of praise and worship to your God, your great high priest, and you're going to be priests forever. You're going to worship God in eternity. And, and he's saying, I'm setting, a, I'm, I'm setting an internal standard to continue on in this race of faith because it's higher than the culture we live in. And by the way, it's very easy to see that, the, that, that, that Jesus' standard is way higher than the standard of this world that we live in. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you agree with me? In context. And so, you know, theologians have wrestled over this particular thing because people want to know, well, then what is just a justifiable divorce? Answer that question for me then, sir. Well... I'm going to walk out my salvation with fear and trembling, and I'm going to do the best I can to rightly divide the word of truth. One of those things, and by the way, when we talk about divorce and what's justifiable, before, before I list a couple of these things that, again, teachers wrestle with and most can agree upon, um, realize that we're, you're never looking for a reason to get out necessarily, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but you're looking for a reason to redeem. That, that, that is the Christian's posture. So, you know, when we say these things, it's not like, yep, there it is, right there, that's it. I'm out, I'm going home today and calling my lawyer. Now, some of you, this is a very touchy subject, by the way, I'm not, not making light of it whatsoever. Um, and uh, the first one's abandonment. And basically, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, Paul talking to the church in Corinth, giving them some instructions, he says that when the unbelieving spouse, the lost spouse, the one that's, unju- that's not been redeemed, the lost spouse, if, if he leaves the believing spouse and abandons that spouse forever, then that's a potential reason for divorce. Another one is infidelity. Matthew chapter 5 talks about it and chapter 19, and it's basically affairs, extramarital affairs. And I, as a pastor, see that way more than I see the first one. And it, and it, and it, it destroys marriages. It destroys the trust foundation. It destroys the psychology. and it, 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 it becomes a major tool the enemy uses and and, 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 you know it takes time and I've seen I've seen this destroy marriages to never come back again literally to the point of enragement we talk a lot about forgiveness and unforgiveness but I've also seen my ad powerful testimonies of couples that have experienced this who both laid at the feet of Jesus and repented and got Therapy, basically, got counseling, got biblical pastoral counseling, and now has a marriage that is strong and has been thriving for many, many years. Many, many years. And that's not an easy thing. But both spouses were willing and wanting that first to honor God and believe that, because as Christians, they believe that God wanted them to reconcile. And, and they didn't. And, and then there, there, here's another one that's, that's pretty controversial, and that's abuse. 
You see a lot of clarity with abandonment and infidelity if you begin to, you know, break into the, 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 the small parts of the Scripture. But abuse is one of those things that we know is not in the nature of God at all. As a matter of fact, you know, when you think about abuse, you're going to think about physical abuse and you're going to think about emotional abuse. And actually, marital physical abuse is illegal within our culture. I mean, you can't just go beat people up, you know what I'm talking about? Physical abuse is actually illegal. And there's civil authorities in our civil law that kind of, you know, can protect people from that. You understand that? That type of legal counsel. Um, some cultures it's not. We live in America, and it is, but we know it's against the nature of God, physical abuse 100%. And then there's emotional abuse. And, you know, emotional abuse is one of those things that's more difficult from the outside looking in and whatnot and to differentiate and, 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 and whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It, you know, it's kind of that thing you can't see. And, and also what we see in our culture is some people claim abuse when there really wasn't any abuse. And then some people don't claim abuse when there really was a lot. You, you with me? And we see these as some potential reasons for divorce. And every situation is unique of what could potentially be justifiable and trying to do things right. Um, and that's where you know you need biblical counsel. Seek out a pastor. Seek out a strong Christian and get biblical counsel. You know, when you have physical abuse... A lot of times you need legal counsel. And, you know, what, what's a shame a lot of times is we see people get married in the name of Jesus, and then it's just literally, you know what I mean, I don't like you anymore. And, you know, we've done 55 personality tests, and it says we're wrong matches. We made the wrong choice. We should have did a full assessment before we got married. You agree? I agree. See you later, and now I'm going to put my profile on Tinder. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you've been like that in a place of immaturity, let me, let me, let me help you. I, I, me and my wife have been married right at 17 years, and the first year of my marriage was fantastic. The second year of my marriage was hell <laughs> on earth. You say, why, Casey? Well, I came into the ministry and started working with my wife, and it was called Clash of the Titans. <laughs> We've been working together now for 15 years side by side, and uh, I call that dog years in marriage. I don't know about you. If anybody has a dream to do that in their heart and how lovely it looks, get ready for a little friction, especially if you get in the car together every day. <laughs> so in that turmoil, we said, my God, this is crazy. We just can't communicate all of a sudden. Let's begin to get help. And the way we usually operate is we'll do it ourselves. We're not going to seek any counsel. We're, 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 we're still in the crowd of the dumb disciples. But I started getting on that thing, boy, we, and then we ran into personality profiles and how the brain works and communication, and then we, we started taking personality tests and then getting personality certified and like, all right, we're going to do this thing, baby. And we did, by the way. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and uh, so we finally paid for one of those high-end tests, you know, instead of those freebies. 
the ones that they were using at Stanford and other things. And uh, so it, it printed out every detail and every percentage based on our answers on one another and blah, 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 blah. And it, and, it, and it printed out the report. And Carrie looked at it, and her expression changed when I looked into her face, and she began to cry, and she said, the report says we need clinical help. <laughs> That's when I said, well, let's get a divorce, you know. It'd be a lot easier, huh? I mean, gee whiz. But no, we did not. And so if you're thinking of divorce because of a personality test, you are deceived. But that's flippant. And that's what people do when sometimes they get into the gray area of unreconcilable differences. You have real conservative theologians, and I'm not beating them up, who would say to you, and I'm not saying we agree with this, but you might not even know God. Mm. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is, Jesus like, I got a, I got a whole nother level for you guys. You want, you, want, you want to go to a whole nother level? I'm going to a whole nother level. And so we see that all of this inside of marriage, and that's why I think biblical counsel, the word itself counseling you, and then biblical counsel is, is paramount. And by the way, hitting back on abuse, I'm going to make sure I'm not taking that lightly. Some of you are trapped. I'm not sure. And you need legal counsel and you need other things. And it's, and it's a horrible cycle. And we, we understand and so if you're in a position today where you've been affected by divorce or you're, you're, maybe you're in the midst of a divorce or, or maybe you look at yourself and, I, you know, I, I probably was selfish in the way I did things and I'm, I'm man, I'm remarried now. I, I, I think what we have to realize is that we can't live in condemnation from conviction. We have to acknowledge God and then change our lifestyle and not repeat the same problem. We got to pray and allow the Word of God to transform our thinking. And when you think about marriage, what is it supposed to be then? Because we talked about, you know, we, we said divorce is, is a problem and it starts with lust and all the ramifications and the things that, peop, uh, that people were doing in the culture. We see it today. If Jesus was on, this was his, Jesus came in here on the Sermon on the Mount, he would expound and you'd be out here. And, and, and we got to realize God created marriage to be a sacred and permanent union and partnership between a man and a woman until death. That's it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A sacred union. A sacred oneness. Not personality, perfection. Spiritual harmony. Sacred, where the things that are paramount is not personality communication tactics. The thing that's paramount is the love and harmonization between you and your wife and man and the gospel, Jesus. You know, I share this story from time to time. My mom and dad were separated, and were, marriage was really done, finished. I was in the streets doing my deal, frat party one-on-one, Never came out of it. I'm out of it now. <laughs> yeah. And um, that Jesus intersected their life by a miracle in their separation. 
simultaneously, by the way. Simultaneously, God did a miracle, brought them to hear the word of God, brought them to a certain, it's a big story, and they ended up at a church right here. And again, it, it, it wasn't like, hey, dude, dang, we're going to church together. It's like, why are you following me? That type of deal. I mean, they were separated. <laughs> this wasn't like, hey, I'm going down Northwood. What you thinking? No, no, no. And, and they showed up, and, 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 and I saw the word of God slowly begin to change their life. Talking about water baptism, public declaration of faith. I came into building number two, watched my dad get baptized, and his testimony actually led me to the Lord. I moved in with my father, which I actually left the house, but I moved back in with him for a short period of time after I did leave Frat Party 101. I disappeared off the grid. I was out of that party grid. You can't find me nowhere. But um, I, I, I stayed with my dad, and we started going to a small group together, a family group, and I started watching the word impact them. And then eventually they moved back in together. And, when I, and I don't know how long they've been married now. Huh? My mom and dad's probably watching online. They do on Sunday mornings. But anyway, it's been a long time. You know what I mean? It's been 40 years. They've been married for 40 years or so. Come on. And if you know our story, it's like, wow, God is a real. And that actually impacted and changed my life. And, and, and my dad went and got new wedding bands made for my mom and, and him. And, they, and each one of them are three-stranded. And he said, you know, Jesus was the reason. Jesus, we were a double-stranded cord all that time. And now because of Jesus, we're a triple-stranded cord, and Jesus was the reason. He's the one that holds us together, and it's a powerful testimony of the gospel. And I, and I think, and I, and I think that, that pain, and I think that trials, and I think that hurt, and I think those things should force us again to worship before the battle versus forcing us straight to the battle and I think when we experience those things, if we start with worship, maybe the battle changes. I'm not sure. Mark said this in chapter 10, verse 7, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Boy, that's a beautiful picture what therefore God has, there it is, there, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And basically what he's saying is divorce separates what God has joined. And ultimately it's a result of sin again in our life and it creates casualties of all kind. I don't have to list them, do I? The casualties of divorce. They just keep running. And by the way, they run from generation. This is another thing. You know, you talk about God doing things for God's glory and our good. Sin can actually affect generations of people in your lineage. Do you know that? Sometimes we've got to be reminded of that. And that's not, again, I'm not condemning you. I'm, in, I'm, I'm right here too. You know what I'm talking about? But what I am saying is, I'm going to align myself with God, and, 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 and I have an advocate with the Father. His name is Christ Jesus. Thank God. Christians who are married are at a higher standard than everyone else. Why does marriage matter? We said it. It's a picture of the gospel. 
And this is what I want you to anchor yourself in when you think about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, the harmonization of the gospel, how, how Jesus laid down his life for the church, that, that, that the church might be the bride of Christ, that it might be purified and cleansed by his perfect love, by his perfect sacrifice. And he said, I'm talking about marriage, Paul was saying, but I'm really talking about the mystery in the gospel and that your marriage can become a mirror for the world to see of how the gospel really works. Not popular, is it? Honestly, I really believe this. And I'm not condemning it. I think if we understood this all the time, we stand to our feet and, yes, Lord. But we've been ravished by sin. And we feel like we've lost our victory, maybe. But it's a picture of the gospel. And it's a tool of sanctification. Marriage makes you become more like Jesus. And anybody who's been married long, I, I ought to do that at the next altar if I ever marry anybody again. Don't, I'm not for, for hire, by the way, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I won't do this. It's just an imagination. It's like, hey, man, are you ready to be sanctified? Because this is about to happen. Once you get back from the honeymoon, both of you, both of you, it's going to be war. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to become more like Jesus and be sanctified. <laughs> it's becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, I, I said it. I said sin destroys Sin ravishes, and sin tries to go from generation to generation to taint what God wants to do in his glory. But you know what? Jesus comes on the scene for us, and I'm concluding, by the way. I know, I know we're, we're, we're at the end, but I want you to get this. We all were adulterous people outside of the covenant of God. We were all undone, but now Christ comes in. And I think some of you are there right there, and we see the heart of God in the Gospels. In John chapter 8, I'm just going to read this to you. It's when this woman there was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees wanted to stone her. They brought Jesus out and said, look at this adulterous woman. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came and he went to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought the woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. See what they're doing to Jesus again? Watch this. Talking about the heart of the matter. So what do you say? They said this to test them that they might have some charges to bring against him. They wanted to kill him, by the way. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Side note, there's tons of theology and historians trying to figure out exactly what he wrote. Just a fun fact. And they continued to ask him, this way he said, uh, he bent down, he wrote on the ground, verse 7, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, this is how he answers, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Oh, wow. Matt, these dudes are smart. All of a sudden, they're, they're, uh, dude. 
And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, the adulterer. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture. See, Jesus is not only calling us to be faithful to one another in marriage, but to be faithful to him. This is the heart of God. Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Lord, we love you. And God, I think that some people right now are far from you. Maybe you're watching online right now. Maybe you're in this room, but you realize that your heart is far from God and that you need a savior. We've talked about it. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants to cleanse you of unrighteousness. And that only comes through Christ and him alone. And our surrender to him and all of what he did on the cross. So, Lord, we surrender to you. That's what you're saying to God right now. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for, 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 for loving me to shed your perfect blood. I trust you right now. Lord, in my pain, I trust you right now in my pride. I trust you in my victory. I I trust you with all of my life and all that's led me to this point right now. God, and I pray that you forgive me and purify me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a connect card or what's next card right in the seat pocket in front of you. If you take it, fill it out. If you're in this room, you can bring it to our next steps table in the rear of the room. If you're watching online, There's a card there you can fill out on our website. You'll see it right there.